Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the LGO Playbook Podcast. This is Zach Morey, and I'm here with Matt Kilby. We're excited to bring you a conversation with Hugh Churchill. He works for General Motors and has been involved in some exciting projects from electric vehicles to their recent ventilator production project. Hugh tells us about his career and some of the lessons he's learned along the way. Let's jump in. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of MIT's The Playbook. Uh, today, we're, Zach and I are happy to be sitting down with Hugh Churchill, uh, who is an assistant project manager of electric vehicle experience and industrialization at General Motors. Uh, so, Hugh, uh, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so, just to, to get us started, what are you up to these days? Uh, you know, what are you working on? Kind of give us background about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Um, so kind of the, the flyby since I graduated from LGO, uh, I joined General Motors coming up on five years ago now, um, worked with them in their uh, OPEX, their operational excellence group, which is kind of their um, own internal, I guess, ops consulting group. Um, worked with them for I don't know, about a year and a half, kind of across the company made a lot of good connections, um, had a really good opportunity to flex a lot of the stuff we learned in the LGO program around, um, you know, operations improvements and that sort of thing. And the interesting part of that was it was mostly focused on business processes, um, not necessarily all uh, in-plant uh, manufacturing processes and that sort of thing. So um, from there, I had a really good opportunity to spend time in a plant, frontline supervisor uh, role. And, you know, that was really great. About a year I spent over uh, our small vehicle production for the Chevy Sonic and the uh, electric Chevy Bolt. And since then, I've uh, recently with, been with the electric vehicle program, um, mostly in program management. Um, as you mentioned, the uh, EV experience and industrialization team focused around kind of future EV programs. Um, you know, as we move from kind of the small compact vehicle one size fits all ev that we have today um, and moving to the next generation of vehicles where we have more range faster charging capabilities and uh, you know whatever vehicle type fits your particular likes and needs uh, from trucks all the way through suvs and small compact vehicles um, been working on a lot of those types of programs thanks for that introduction to you i'd love to jump in a little bit more into the you know, you said at the beginning it was kind of operations consulting. You saw a lot of different parts of the company, and then you went to, you know, the manufacturing line. Could you tell us a little bit about what you learned on the line that would have been hard to learn in more of a project management or, or higher level strategy role? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, probably the first thing that comes to mind would just being able to make decisions uh, in time. Um, you know. Out on the manufacturing floor, cycle times are anywhere between 60 seconds and a minute and a half, depending on how fast we're moving that particular line. Uh, so, you know, if you're down for even a few seconds, um, you've got people calling from all over the plant and that sort of thing, because, you know, um, we're trying to get vehicles out the door, um, as with any other manufacturing facility, trying to get product out the door. So, um, you know, making the best decision with the best amount of information available that you can make and being comfortable and confident with that decision to move things forward, I think is something that I learned to be more confident with um, out in the production facility uh, with 
program and project management, you got a lot more time on your hands. Um, not that decisions aren't timely and important, but they're not to the second important. So um, it kind of gave me the opportunity to learn to be comfortable assessing the information that I have at hand, being comfortable with the information, making a decision, and then, you know, um, always acknowledging the fact that that decision can be pivoted or shifted um, as you move forward. But if you're just, you know, kind of stumble um, over a decision um, that could easily just be made or reversed down the line, um, you know, that can cause issues. So I, I think that's probably the main thing um, that comes to mind when I think about what I learned out there on the floor. That's awesome. I mean, that's something that, you know, I was fortunate enough to do, you know, interning here at Nissan, spent the first two weeks uh, shadowing, you know, a day shift supervisor on the line. And my mind was blown at, you know, the decision making they have to do, like how quick, like you mentioned, the cycle times. I think that was just probably the most rewarding thing I've done so far. Um, so that's cool that you got to do that as well. Um, and I, I want to I want to bring up uh, another you know really cool thing that GM's doing specifically or has been involved with and you know a lot of media attention a few months ago with the Defense Production Act making ventilators you know were you involved in anything um, on that side of the house? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the question. Um, so the most recent thing that I've been involved in, and I'm actually just coming to the end of my work on that really fast uh, project. Uh, but General Motors got involved, um, as you mentioned, the Defense Production Act, um, et cetera. But, you know, we were already gearing up and seeing how that we could leverage our, you know, vast scale and manufacturing capabilities to, um, you know, benefit our country, but also the, the world when it comes to, uh, you know, any sort of manufacturing production. So um, we did mask production for uh, local um uh, stuff uh, and distribution to different uh, medical organizations and hospitals and that sort of thing. But we also uh, got heavily involved in uh, ventilator production. Um, and so I recently got the opportunity to spend about two months working with a uh, company, Hamilton Medical, uh, and helping them scale their ventilator production here in the United States. Um, and, you know, I had colleagues that were also working on another project with Ventec. Uh, they are a U.S.-based company, but they also needed to ramp up their ventilator production. Um, so General Motors helped both of those companies um, scale fast uh, in their production capability. So that idea of scaling quickly, I'd love to dive into that a little bit because, you know, I think automotive in general has a reputation for very long product development. Uh, timelines. And so what was it that enabled GM to help these smaller companies scale quickly? And are there some lessons learned that that you think GM is taking back or that GM should start applying? Yeah, really interesting question. Um, and just to give you a little bit of a, a background on kind of the difference between the two projects is, uh, you know, in Ventec, the Ventec project, the one that I was not necessarily fully involved in, uh, we we took production in-house. So we leveraged one of our own facilities and retooled that facility up to uh, create or produce more of Ventex um, ventilators. Uh, on the project that I was involved in, we actually went from a completely greenfield, new warehouse, empty warehouse, uh, dirty warehouse actually, to a uh, uh, medical grade uh, facility 
within, uh, we actually put out the first production part in uh, four weeks from getting the keys to the facility. Um, so, you know, very rapid timeline. Um, two slightly different or completely different projects, one where we leveraged our own facilities and one where we needed to take a completely new greenfield site and bring it up to speed rapidly. Um, so, you know, getting back to your initial question on what were some, some things that General Motors brought to the table that enabled that. Um, the first thing that, that comes to mind to me is, um, you know, reflecting back, GM is really, really good at processes. Um, and, you know, and even thinking back on the LGO experience and, you know, and operations in general processes are super important. And when you think about the timelines that we work on, um, just because they're long, you know, multiple year projects that uh, when we bring a vehicle to market, um, the, the amount of things that have to happen that amount of time, um, they all need to be moving along in cadence at the same time so that four or five years down the road, we have a completely fleshed out supply chain uh, where, you know, thousands of parts are coming to the, the line on an hour cadence um, to replenish and build vehicles um, with multiple different packages. So um, in order to do that, uh, we have a really great op or capability of developing processes and plans and then sticking to those plans um, so, you know, when we came into this project, we, we have no background in, in ventilators, right? So we had to heavily rely on our partners with Hamilton, um, to provide that, that expertise. Um, but, you know, we have the people and the process know how to say, we know exactly how to break down a large, um, project. And we know exactly, you know, all the steps that it takes to get us from A to B, um, which is a completed, uh, product at the end of an assembly line, right, uh, with a supply chain set up. Um, and yeah, so bringing that process expertise, and then also not just having the process, but making sure that every step along that process has a person identified, um, or a role identified, and responsibilities identified for each of those things. You know, you want to take out any of the ambiguity, so that at the end of the day, um, people aren't pointing fingers. So I thought, that was your responsibility to do that. I think um, Jim is very good at breaking a large problem down into each of those little tactical pieces that need to get done and then ensuring that someone has that ball and moving forward with it. That's insane to think that you went from a dirty warehouse to finished product in, in four weeks. Now was, was that process, I mean, was it flawless or do you have any like funny stories of things that, kind of went wrong during it any leadership challenges that you came across um, on specifically that project that you were involved with yeah i wouldn't say that it was <laughs> flawless by any means um i think there were a ton of hurdles along the way uh you know maybe this is a good a good a good time to bring up kind of a, a, a leadership principle there um you know the biggest thing that enabled us to go really fast was you know we always talk about hiring the right team. And in this case, I guess, putting together the right team of people. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not just getting the right people on the team. It's then completely trusting that team to go do the work that uh, they were asked to do. Um, you know, I, I think to varying levels, we have that within the regular organization. But for this particular project, we just said, this is your responsibility for each di you know, different part of the project and said, you have 100% control go make the decisions and get this done because we need to go fast leadership 
was really there 100% to remove roadblocks. So, um, you know, we had in this particular case, we, since we had to go really, really fast, we had daily check-ins, um, but there wasn't any really, you know, metric report outs or anything where we were trying to say, hey, each person, can you give us updates? It was more, do you have any issues and what can we do to help you get over those, right? It was really just roadblock clearing. So um, I bring that up because one of the things that, you know, came up was when our uh, facilities team got to, so Hamilton Medical, they are located in Reno, Nevada, um, here in the United States. And the facility that we were working with when our team got there in Nevada um, and we walked in, you know, the first day we had the keys to the facility, um, we noticed that, you know, we had already drawn up plans on how to lay out this facility. And the way that we had it set up, all the climatic chambers and testing equipment was going to be on one end of the building. And that was where most of the utility and power draws that we were going to need um, were going to need to be located. So um, he quickly realized that um, that was basically 180 degrees from where all of the utility lines come into the building. So um, without having to go through a ton of approvals and various meetings to get, you know, everybody on the same page, his team kind of put their heads together in a couple hours, pretty much for all intents and purposes, 180 degree flipped the, the design uh, and layout of the facility that had already been approved, right? Um, and said, we're going to just do it the other way around so that we don't have to run these utilities um, really far. And not only, you know, did that kind of get over that initial hurdle. Um, it also ended up saving us money in the end. Um, it would have been a lot more overhead work with wiring and, um, you know, chilled water uh, lines and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, we ended up uh, shaving time and money by just making a simple decision. But at the end of the day, it was really enabled by the fact that, you know, full trust was given to him and to make the right decision in the time um, so that we could move forward fast. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really neat story. Thank you for that and, and the importance of trusting trusting your team. Um, I, you know, with exciting projects like this, especially when there's a when there's a lot of attention on it, I think that the the people in general want either want to participate or want to offer advice or want to ask a lot of questions. And so, was that something that you had to to manage and and try to limit the number of people participating, or did you welcome any and all help from the outside? How did you, how did you and the team handle that? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's kind of where do you draw um, the line on enough people, but not too many people. Um, we had a lot of community outpouring. So, so uh, I mean, throughout our entire supplier network, I think we had a ton of suppliers reach out and say, hey, what can we do to be involved in this? What can we do to help? Um, we had a number of people within the company, uh, you know, GM employees reach out and say, hey, what can, can I be part of this project? What can I do? Um, and I think you, you nailed the, you nailed it right on the head. You know, we had to be um, slightly selective on the number of people that we got on the team, um, because at the end of the day, we wanted to make sure that all of the pieces of the puzzle were covered. Someone had responsibility, but we also didn't want to have too many people um, where we can then get, you know, some, some churn and uh, it would be difficult potentially to move as quickly as we wanted to. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the outpouring of help from the community was fantastic. It actually makes me think of another thing. Um, so, you know, one of the challenges, interestingly enough, in this project 
was um, Hamilton Medical is actually a Swiss-based company. Um, and the very first day that we asked for information on all of their products and uh, you know, the technical drawings, et cetera, um, everything that was sent to us was in Swiss German. Um, so uh, that weekend, um, a couple of our leaders reached out to as many people that they knew within General Motors that knew, they thought knew German. Um, within hours of that, we had found almost 40 people, I guess, approximately within the company that you know, knew German enough and wanted to help. Um, and in the course of 48 hours over a weekend, we're able to translate 100% of the documents that we got into usable uh, English translated uh, documents for this particular project. But that, that was another hurdle <laughs> that we had to get over. It's much more collaborative than what I was thinking what was coming, was, which was like, so we just hand jammed everything into Google Translate. Right? <laughs> 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 we could figure it out. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yep. Yeah, but no, but it enabled us the, op the opportunity to really kind of flex, right? So it's, we had a core group of people that was really focused on this project, but then we really flexed into uh, the various communities and networks within the company when we needed the help. And people were more than willing to help. Um, you know, I mean, obviously this particular project was um, easy to get behind. Um, so, you know, everyone was wanted to jump behind it. Just to get an idea of the scale of this, how, how many people would you say were involved in this project total? Yeah, so uh, our team consisted of about 150 people from General Motors. Um, you know, what, what's going on now? Are you still involved? With yeah, uh, so GM got involved um, late March. And so, you know, walking through the timeline, four weeks to get the first couple of parts off the end of the line. Um, six weeks we were producing uh, to our contract of the the government contract was for 25,000 units. So um, six weeks from, you know, boots on ground inside of the building, um, we were producing in small scale at that time. Um, but we are currently uh, transitioning um, up to full um, full capacity at the plant, um, at which point then, you know, we'll be moving toward that goal of 25,000 units. Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, GM pretty much took a full step back. So we, we, we stayed with our partners at Hamilton um, through initial uh, startup production at the facility, helped them um, get all the processes up to snuff, uh, made sure that they had uh, basically a counterpart for each of us um, in our help that we did through um, supply chain and manufacturing and packaging, et cetera, um, all in the facility. And, you know, we, we helped to train all of the operators on the line. And then, um, like I said, a couple of weeks ago, we just officially took a large step back from being there in person. So we have now taken on a more um, support role. Uh, we're there if they need any help with any of the documentation that we've come up with or any of the processes that we've done. Um, we're, we are more than willing, but most of us have transitioned back to our our day to day job at General Motors. Um, so yeah, real real fast turnaround. We were in basically part of the Hamilton team for a month and a half to two, and now we've taken a big step back to let them um, take back over control and finish out the rest of the contract. 
Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that seems like such a, such a fast turnaround. And I kind of want to go back to, to the question asked a little bit earlier, especially now hearing that you and the team are transitioning back like that. Was this such a unique and such a, such a special project that there's not a lot that it'll influence or change within GM? Or do you think there were some you know, fundamental insights or aha moments that, that you'll take back to the organization that, that can change some things? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we've touched on a lot of the large takeaways that we can bring back. Um, I think it really emphasized some of the things that we already knew and some of the things that we do in small scale from time to time within the organization. Um, you know, within an organization that's as large as General Motors, um, the layers of leadership and approvals and um, all the things that we go through, I think, um, are extremely important for what we do. Um, but I think this has given us an opportunity to at least take a look at some of that a little bit and, you know, realize and see, you know, look at how much we were able to accomplish in a very short period of time when we basically stripped away a lot of that um, and allowed the basically the person at the front of the line to make 100% of the decisions and, um, and move forward fast. Um, I think, you know, obviously in the day-to-day -day business, it's never going to be all the way to that. Um, but I think it gave us an, it afforded us an opportunity to see what that looks like and it'll give us an opportunity for us to kind of revisit and find where between those two extremes we can, we can find, um, a better path forward because I think you know for GM and for a lot of uh, other companies um, the ability to move faster right with pr product cycles in the four to five year range um, to develop vehicles anytime you can shave any amount of time off of that um, we we would like to do so um, to be more nimble uh, to the market etc and respond to customer needs so um, you know, I think this afforded us an opportunity to run that experiment and learn going forward. And it's interesting, so, though. I mean, like the you know, where is the balance between like you know the bureaucracy, whereas you know you need certain levels of approval. Someone's going to be driving this thing, right? Like there's safety, you know, anything that that a human being is going to operate. Um, but I mean, coming from the military, right? Like one of the most bureaucratic bureaucracies to to be, right? Um, so that it's cool to, to watch a big company like that become nimble and accomplish, you know, this projects so that that's encouraging. Um, yeah. Was, you know, another thing, um, if I can, uh, you know, interject another thing that um, in our reflection post this project so far, I think communication, uh, I know I, we talk about communication a lot, um, you know, at LGO and, you know, even at General Motors, et cetera, um, and how important it is to everybody being on the same page to move projects forward quickly and successfully. Um, but I would say probably something that I personally will take away from this project is, you know, everything was communicated to everybody every day, right? And we might not have the capability to have daily check-ins, um, you know, in a project or program management setting um, or, 
you know, but some of the other some of the other things where we had we were leveraging, you know, OneNote uh, where everyone would share um, kind of well, we'd have one central page where we'd have daily notes from the previous day so that everybody could be on the same page of what were the key um, wins from the day before, what were the key happenings that you might have missed if maybe you missed a meeting the day before, um, but also what are some of the key challenges that you might be able to jump in and help on if you might have missed something. I think everybody being on the same page constantly uh, was a, a huge enabler um, from that perspective. So any way going forward where, um, you know, especially now with everybody being remote uh, for the most part, any way we can, you know, share information and communicate and all be clearly on the same page going forward, I think um, is a huge learning um, as well as a, a, a good way to approach work going forward. Well, I guess um, now would be a good time to, to move into um, some LGO class questions. So, you know, we pulled the, the current LGOs and let them know we were talking to you. And, you know, there's a lot of excitement around electric vehicles, strategy, you know, manufacturing and, and stuff. So um, I think that we'll start off with the first question is simply just where do you see the auto industry in five to 10 years? Yeah, great question. Um, well, you know, you've probably seen it, uh, especially with large automakers like General Motors and Volkswagen and Ford, um, everybody, when they're announcing their future plans is electrification, right? Um, I think you're going to see the market accelerate more toward uh, electrification over the next five to 10 years. Um, you know, obviously, it's going to take a while for the entire market to shift over that to that period. Um, you know, a lot of the first vehicles coming out, especially with you know, you see Tesla's, the price points are a little bit higher than kind of your um, mainstream consumer can hit. Um, and obviously to turn the whole park over, um, it'll take a, even longer than that. But I think you're going to see new offerings across the gamut. Uh, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, in everybody's favorite type of vehicle. So if you like the three row SUV, or if you like a pickup truck or a sports car, um, you're going to start to see all of those become available um, in an electric form over the next couple of years here. And I think the, the, the choices are just going to get more and more over the next couple of years. Let's dive into that a little bit more. So I'd like to understand a little bit better. What's the biggest hurdle to, you know, I think, I think a lot of people are wondering um, about the, this transition zone that, the automotive markets in the customers are in where it's, I mean, you're, you're seeing more of the EVs come in. Can you, can you help us and our audience understand a little bit better why that transition zone may need to be longer than people would want it to be or, or what would, what could make it shorter that automotive companies like GM are thinking about? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, like I mentioned, um, having a vehicle in the customer's desired segment is, uh, is one piece of the puzzle. Um, so a lot of people look at General Motors offerings of electric vehicles and you see, uh, the Chevy Bolt. It's, I mean, it, it fits five. Um, but if you have a family and a couple of kids, um, it, it might fit two car seats in the back, but you're getting pretty, pretty tight at that point. Uh, if you want to get the whole family in the vehicle. So a lot of people with larger families, um, et cetera, you know, want larger vehicles, um, or maybe the form factor of a hatchback isn't necessarily your favorite vehicle. So, um, 
waiting on something that looks a little bit different before they make a jump. Um, I know, you know, with that perspective, trucks are a big piece. A lot of people um, love the utility of uh, pickup trucks. So, um, you know, it's difficult for them to make the electric jump. Um, and I think you'll start to see those come out. That's, that's one big hurdle. Um, I think the next big thing is all of the fear of the unknown pieces um, when it comes to EV living. Um, you know, one of the biggest hurdles or one of the biggest things that I found personally is I became a big believer in electric vehicles when I finally got the chance to live with one for longer than just a test drive, um, take one home and use it for a few days for a weekend, actually experience having to charge a vehicle um, and, you know, what that entails. Everyone's been, you know, for the most part, grown up just knowing that you go to the gas station to fill up and that's just what you do with a car in order to fuel it. Um, so people start to worry about, okay, well, I've heard that charging takes 30 minutes to an hour to get a full charge. Um, I, I like to get in and out of the gas station in five minutes. Well, you know, once you realize that the reality of owning an EV is that you plug in every night and you have a full tank at the start of every day, um, you can start to think about it. What if I started every single day with a full tank of gas? My the capabilities there, my ability to go drive distances in my normal day-to-day -day life um, become much easier. And that's just kind of an issue that um, I think is real in some degree. I mean, uh, if you go on a road trip, you're going to have to stop and charge. So that that length of time that it takes to charge um, is definitely something that is a fear, um, but also something that, you know, a lot of uh, the OEMs are working on, including General Motors, um, you know, from Two, two pieces of we're improving range. Uh, so ranges are going to be going up and up over the next couple of years. So you're going to be able to get a lot further on a single charge. And then uh, the next piece of the puzzle is just charging speed. So, um, you know, any amount of minutes you can take off of that 30 minutes to an hour of charging, um, as you start to approach that more five to 10 minute range, it starts to look more like a normal gas station stop. Um, so uh, I think getting people into a little bit more comfort zone where they're used to, I think is one of the big hurdles there for EVs. Because yeah. definitely outside of that, outside of that, uh, the performance speaks for itself. So the second you get a chance to drive one, um, I, I, especially the Chevy Bolt's like driving a go-kart. It might um, look different than might be what your ideal vehicle uh, would look like, but uh, it handles fantastic. It's super fast. Um, it's really exciting to drive. So electric performance is, is really fun. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. I completely agree with that. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that, that when they've, when they've driven an electric vehicle, they're amazed at the pickup, how fast they can go, how, how great it feels. Now, are you involved at all on the manufacturing strategy side of, of EVs, or do you have any experience in that space and then the challenges that's presenting to the line and, and the supply chain or anything like that? Um, I don't have any uh, direct look into that. Um, you know, so my I'm currently transitioning roles and I'm moving into pro program management with the electric truck. Um, and, you know, with that, we are uh, working on the facility in Detroit. Our Detroit Hamtramck plant is actually being uh, completely retooled to be uh, the first all electrified 
vehicle production facility um, for General Motors. So um, those will be developed there. Um, we've also formed a partnership with LG Chem um, for uh, producing batteries. And that, is, that plant is going to be built um, in Ohio. Um, and we'll be producing, you know, all of the batteries for at least the the uh, North American um, vehicles will come out of that plant there. So those are kind of the the big things from a from an EV manufacturing perspective at this point uh, that are going on. I wanted to ask about batteries because gasoline as a as a technology, you could say, has has been pretty stable for decades. I mean, obviously manufacturers are consistently finding ways to get improvements out of it, but you know, gasoline and how it burns and all that has been fairly similar. But I feel like battery technology has been, at least in, in the media, talked about, it's, it's changing a lot. It's almost more like a technology. There's a lot of studies going into it. And so I guess two things, how does, how does that development of battery technology affect the car development? And then, a second question on it is, you know, if, if you build these vehicles with the current technology and then all of a sudden the technology goes through a step change, are the vehicles modular enough that you can just plug in new batteries or do you have to come up with a new car technology? Yeah, so great question. Um, and the answer to your question is that the next generation of electric vehicles that GM will be putting out into the field is all modular platform built from the ground up for electrified um, propulsion and also for varying um, chemistries and sizes of batteries so um, the you know the battery compartments in the bottom of the vehicle um, will be capable of taking new technologies for batteries um, and even integrating you know so uh, one battery pack will have multiple modules in it, um, you know, uh, basically just smaller mods, and you can build them up to get more range. So if you have six mods, you have X range. If you have 12 mods, you have two X range. Um, even to the point where we could plug and play new technology batteries in one module if you wanted to, and it, and then the whole vehicle platform would be able to, uh, to run on that. So, um, yeah, we are be, trying to be as modular and flexible as possible when it comes to battery technology, exactly noting the fact that uh, it is improving quickly um, across the industry and within our company. And, uh, you know, the next batteries that you'll see will be, you know, cheaper to make um, as well as, uh, you know, better technology from a performance per uh, size uh, standpoint so um but yeah we are definitely receptive to any step changes in the market and capable of integrating that into our platform going forward that's awesome um i want to be conscious of time here and get to our last question which is the one that i'm most excited to hear the answer to which is what car are you currently driving and why yeah, so I drive the Chevy Volt, the Victor Volt. Um, that's the plug-in hybrid uh, that General Motors, uh, unfortunately, um, has stopped making um, in an effort to move uh, completely in our vision of going 100% electric with our vehicles. Um, but I, I chose the vehicle uh, 
two reasons. Um, I love the performance of the electric vehicle, uh, but at the end of the day, I, I needed the additional range that is um, afforded by the, the plug-in hybrid. So um, I have the Gen 2 Chevy Volt, which uh, on a good warm day can allow me almost, sometimes almost 70 miles of range um, on purely electric. Um, so I can pretty much live almost 100% of my driving on pure electric. And then if I take a trip out of state to um, visit my wife's family or um, go on a road trip or something like that, we can easily uh, fuel and be on, on the way. Um, and it's a super, super efficient uh, vehicle as well. So uh, it, the MPG when I am on gas mode is uh, quite fantastic as well. So, what yeah. color is it? It's black. I've actually had every single one of my vehicles since I got one uh, from day one has been black. I, I've been too too nervous to branch out for some reason, but uh, <laughs> it gets the job done. The last yeah. automotive interview with JS Boldman Nissan was the opposite. She says she tries to get a new, a different color every time. So, Yeah, I'm always worried. I, I get really excited about like a nice bright blue color or something like that. And I'm always worried two months into owning it, I will have wished that I got a black car. So <laughs> I default back to the black car. Yeah. Well, Hugh, thank you so much for joining us. Is there is there anything else that you'd like to end with? A message you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, not necessarily. I, I Again, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation. Um, you know, hopefully you guys, as well as your listeners, uh, get something informative uh, out of the interview. Um, you know, the experience working with uh, Hamilton Medical was uh, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime um, career opportunity for me, uh, as well as a lot of other people uh, that I worked with on the team. Um, you know, fantastic opportunity to just learn what my colleagues can do. Um, you know, you get so wrapped up sometimes in the day-to-day -day and uh, to almost have a complete shift of industry and everything um, and get something new and exciting and, uh, you know, very beneficial to a, um, a big important cause is uh, something that doesn't come around all that often. So uh, it's a really great opportunity and I'm glad I was able to talk about it a little bit today. that's it for our interview with Hugh Churchill. A huge thank you to him for joining us. And please keep in touch with me and with Matt. We'd love to hear any recommendations or ideas you have on potential future guests and the lessons that they could share. Until next time, take care.